Welcome to the Truth CSGO podcast, episode 15. That's one five. I'm your host, The Truth. We're talking all things Counter-Strike Global Offensive from a player's perspective. And today, a very special treat, a real-life candid interview with a CSGO hacker. We'll also touch on Blast Pro Series, I Am Oakland, and a Toxic Player of the Week. I'm just going to apologize up front for any construction noise. I have construction on both sides of me today. So if it bleeds in, I apologize. There's jackhammers, there's grinders. It's all happening. Now, a bit of housekeeping. An important milestone has just been reached as of yesterday. Episode 13, my interview with the lovely, the generous DK has reached 1,000 listens. Literally 1,000 exactly. I spent all morning weeping with joy, then all afternoon reactionary scowling to balance it out like the true misanthrope I am. I take all my calls standing up at my desk now. Thanks to Mr. Max Melit for your plug on Twitter. Love your journalistic work. If you don't know who I'm talking about, Max is a young Australian journalist. Check him out, Fellas and Sheilas. Got some great articles on a bunch of very reputable websites. Goes in depth with the analytics. Did a great one recently on Australis. Uh, he's also a researcher for Thorin, so he's definitely getting his foot in the door, and I'm sure we'll see a lot more of him. Now, some of you have reached out in the meantime to ask me to explain things a little clearer and a little more basic on this show. I started out doing that uh, early on, but um, I will endeavor to do a little more of that this episode and keep you guys in mind. Apparently, I have some listeners who not only are new to CSGO, but don't even play. I don't know where you've come from, but uh, welcome. A bit of indication recently regarding my hunches from last episode about not playing Train. So a Redditor recently released results of a reader survey about all the maps, which found that amongst other things, Train received votes for its emphasis on team player and strategy, meaning solo players would have a hard time by themselves. Boys and girls, unless you are with a team, take Train off your map picks. Just a little tip. On the other hand, Dust2 benefits, on uh, the Redditor's words, uh, it benefits players with an exceptional aim. With Sorry, with exceptional aim. So you can perform well as a solo player. Unfortunately, I couldn't find this thread again to credit the person who posted this stuff, but uh, he knows who he is and Jesus loves him. Now, regarding the meditation included in the last episode, I hope you all had a go, had a bit of a uh, bliss out, and you are listening to this episode from a cloud in Nirvana. I actually got an email from a listener, Angus Touch, about meditation. He's been using the NBK Primed Mind app, which I totally forgot about. I covered it very early on in the potty. Uh, NBK from French super team G2 endorsed earlier in the year a meditation-esque app for your Android and iOS phones. I actually haven't used it. Uh, Angus swears by it. He does 20-minute sessions before he plays and has a long day working construction, which is very stressful apparently. So uh, he recommends that. I'm going to have a go of it. Um, I recommend you do too. Now, I haven't had too much of a go of my own meditation session. I've done it a few times, but to be honest, after a long day, it kind of makes me a bit sleepy. Um, So what I found is actually helping even better is exercise. No surprise there. Uh, And although exercise tires me out too, it sort of clears a bit of the clutter from my thoughts, allows me to focus a bit more. And you know, honestly, I think that's the difference between me playing well and playing badly, just having a bunch of shit I've got to do or think about or I'm putting off. Having that cleared out makes a huge difference. Anyway, we will get to my personal issues in the second half of this podcast because that's really what this is all about. Instead, let's go to a recap of the second half of IEM Oakland. 
So last podcast, <clears throat> I covered the first two days of Oakland, and I'm going to race through this because, let's face it, it is old news now. But um, I'll just skim through my notes. SK just destroyed Optic in the semis. Uh, I did have a note here about Trez Stunner. Trez Stunner, if you don't know him, he used to be a manager for Cloud9. I believe he was in the military before that. Maybe he was a pro, pro player briefly in 1.6. Anyway, Blake's been doing a bit of uh, interviews with the players on stage and with crowd members and uh, recently hosted, I think it was the Blast Pro, no, no, the iBuyPower Masters. Anyway, bloke is relaxing a lot more. He used to look sort of like he was in fight or flight mode while doing these interviews with people. Perhaps it's because he had a bit of a stoush with one of the um, eager uh, and overexcited players, who was it? It was um, an audience member in um, one of the tournaments. If you uh, recall the incident, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, But uh, my note here was that Trez is definitely looking more relaxed. And uh, I have often pointed this out about various people. Um, Sponge is one of them. Um, Vexed, I think his name is. Is another one. Pimp looking more relaxed these days too. As the scene sort of grows, as his analysts and casters grow, it's lovely to see them all relaxing a bit. The whole thing getting a lot more professional, a lot smoother. Um, I've also got a note here that Mixwell, who I've previously called the Jeff Goldblum of CSGO, actually looks a lot more like that bloke from Arrested Development. I don't have his name down here because I couldn't recall it then and I can't recall it now. He was, um, he was the bloke who, uh, got, um, Juno knocked up in, um, Juno. What's his name? Seth, no, that's Seth Rogen. Um, John Serra, Michael Serra. He's basically played a teenager for like 20 years. Um, anyway, that's who Mixwell looks like this week, uh, with a hint of a Goldblum. That was my entire takeaway for this match. Uh, we had SK versus NIP in the semis. NIP, uh, well, SK were pretty pretty slumpy. They were looking a bit tired. Fallen was having a yawn. Nip was um, killing it with the strats, very looking very strong on um, Inferno especially. And, and Sponge brought up a good point, that SK don't really seem to have the set executes, and they're very much a reactive team based on what pick or entry or info they get, which is possibly why they're so difficult to defeat and so um, so good, I guess. They're sort of like water. They just flow into whatever gap they can find. They remind me of my friend's mate who uh, I used to play ping pong against, funnily enough. No, my, 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 my mate's mum. I used to play ping pong against my mate's mum, and she would not hit the ball after a good bounce. She would meet the bounce with her racket, so she would be using your momentum to push back against you. You could never really use force to beat her, and that's what uh, SK reminded me of in this matchup and, and in general. Then we had Phase versus Cloud9. Uh, Phase romped it over Cloud9, and... Uh, Cloud9. Now, here's where I think uh, the clue as to why they aren't world beaters yet lies. In one of these interviews at IEM Oakland, um, oh, sorry, for the uh, listeners who contacted me asking me to explain things more, IEM, Intel Extreme Masters, Oakland is in San Francisco. In one of the interviews, Stewie2K talked about how he wanted Cloud9 to play how they played best, with no respect. That's his words, with no respect. Herein lies the problem, Mr. 2K. This sentence, it belies what's actually holding Cloud9 back. If you don't respect some of the other teams and players, you're basically living in la-la land, right? Let's say I'm a Neolithic caveman and uh, I'm faced, I'm up, I'm up against a bully mammoth, right? If I do not respect that creature or his tusks, basically, I'm going to run straight at him and get gored. You can see just by the size of the tusks, which are the size of my body, that they should be respected. And if you look at the history of the players on phase, 
you need to respect what they've done. If you don't, it's kind of naive, right? What's more, if you equate giving respect with being fearful, it just shows an insecurity, and that is the culture of the individual that is so detrimental to Americans in esports. See how I bring it around to my previous theories, thus reinforcing my own genius? Sneaky beaky like. Respecting someone doesn't mean that you lose ground or status. In fact, it shows more confidence if you can respect someone and still beat them. The fact that Cloud9 show no respect or have that as a value, right, is also going to make it harder to bounce back after a loss, which is often, I reckon, why we see them tilt so hard on stage. Because if you lose to someone who you already saw as below you in status, you're going to be far more demoralized. Uh, whereas if you lost a round to, to someone who you respected... It's going to be completely understandable. It's not going to ruffle your feathers and it doesn't have to stop you from trying your hardest the next round. So Cloud9, they have some growing up to do or at least listening to their psychologist some more. I don't know what the psychologist is like. I guess there are some good and some bad. Basically learning a bit of humility. Also, I've written down here, apropos of absolutely nothing, Virtus Pro is like the Madonna of CSGO. Just when you think she's washed up, she reinvents herself, puts on a new type of bra, and rides around to a new beat. So there you go. Now, the grand final of IEM Oakland was Ninjas in Pajamas versus FaZe. And I'll recap this storyline for those who are not familiar to the scene. NIP, or Ninjas in Pajamas, are an all-Swedish team, formerly champions, dominant in, in previous versions of Counter-Strike and the very start of Counter-Strike Global Offensive. But <clears throat> they've been in a bit of a slump. They won this same event last year, but that was basically it for them since then. It's been a terrible year for them. And coming up against a super team of FaZe made up of different star players from around the world... They were definitely the underdogs in this scenario. Now, there were two interviews at the start of this match which were very telling, and they were the interviews with Forrest from NIP and Carrigan from FaZe. Now, Forrest spoke with such a passion about the journey the guys have taken to try and prove themselves again as an enduring side, as a side with new excitement and determination about the game. And Carrigan, the IGL or in-game leader of FaZe, seemed a little more clinical by comparison, talking about getting his name on a trophy, establishing a legacy. It did not bode well. But this was an amazing series. It went to five maps and it was very emotional. I have notes on each map. But even just a week and a half later, it seems a bit irrelevant. So basically, I will just say NIP had the much better teamwork, much better strats, and much better structure. And on some maps, they were even just doing simply what Gambit did in the heats on Mirage to phase, which was find out where Carrigan was playing and abuse that, since Carrigan isn't as strong a fragger as the rest of his team and is often just playing solo. At other times, I don't think FaZe had the strats or mid-round calls to be surprising enough, and Nip seemed to have a good read on what they'd do anyway. Also, Nico looked severely tilted, often. I've noticed that with him. Maybe it's because he's closest to camera, but that is an unhappy chappy. The moment they uh, are, not, are not doing too well, I think that's the man who needs a psychology coach. Why don't FaZe have one? Why don't they have, um, why don't they have Tony Robbins behind them? I mean, aren't they the richest organization in esports? They should have um, the Dalai Lama in the front row just sort of kneading his beads or whatever he does and uh, making uh, peaceful eyes at um, Olafmeister. Anyway, very exciting to see the old boys of NIP step up, especially Get Right, who had some super Get Righty flanks, particularly on Inferno I'm talking about. Sneaky Bicky Lake. And their new members were really hitting their straps. There was lots of talk and interviews about Jens, the sports psychologist they've hired. He seems to have them on diet and exercise regimes, thinking positively and productively. If only they'd been able to get him in before Freiburg left. 
If only. Now we have yet another team that's competitive in NIP. Before this tournament, actually, NIP were ranked number nine. And for the noobs who want me to explain things more, the ranking system comes from hltv.org. It's a website that collates statistics from CSGO matches and puts them all into some sort of um, doomsday machine and spits out a ranking system for the top teams. And coming into this tournament, NIP was ranked number nine and... SK was number one and FaZe was number two, or vice versa. FaZe was number one, SK was number two. So they beat both of those teams. And to think that it was only mere weeks ago that Reddit user Boshoku posted, I want to get off Mr. Nip's wild ride. Actually, an even better pun that I spied riding on the spume of Reddit backwash was courtesy of user Ninja Yoda, who quipped in reference to the amount of timeouts they take, ninjas in pause jamas. Very clever. Now, the Blast Pro series, I don't have a huge amount to say about this because I missed every game. It was a busy time for me and it was over so quickly. Plus, first day was uh, postponed, I believe, due to technical issues and some of it was played online. But if you missed the hype, it was basically a new format of competition where the general idea was that things were played pretty simultaneously. Um, Three matches at once, uh, round robin best of ones, while a sort of 1v1 tournament was going on between individual players. FaZe actually ended up winning that. But uh, the big story I'm going to cover here, what I'm going to do, what I'm going to do with this tournament, what I'm going to do with this tournament is cover the big story and then I will give you a match to watch because I've had a request to just like, people can't watch all the pro matches, so please just recommend a match and don't reveal the outcome. So I I will come to that at the end. But the big story, the big narrative of this tournament was about Dennis. Now, some of you might recall last podcast, I talked about Dennis being benched on Godsent. For those who are new to the scene, Dennis is a 26-year-old Swedish player. He's formerly of probably the best side in the history of CSGO, which is Fnatic. He was there during the latter half of 2015, right up until August this year, at which point Fnatic's results had severely dropped off. But during his time, they won a shitload of tournaments and prize money, and Dennis was a highly decorated player. He was a bit overshadowed by uh, the other players in Fnatic, like Olaf Meister, JW, and Flusher. And uh, when he moved to Godsent, basically the team proved to be fairly abysmal in their results. Now, in an interview with .esports in January this year, Dennis agreed with the interviewer that he was definitely the best pistoler in the world. That's what he's known for, winning pistol rounds. But last week, I speculated his career may be on the line, considering the lack of opportunity at other Swedish teams. Going back to Fnatic wouldn't have been an option. NIP was just beginning to look good. And because Dennis has a kid, the only North American option might have been the now European-located Optic. Plus, FaZe looks pretty set in their lineup. But as fate would have it, Australis, a Danish formerly top-tier team who's been struggling of late, although they're still in the top 10, lost their major player, Device. Device was their orper to a mysterious illness. Uh, he's not lost. He's not dead. He just couldn't play. And actually, as of a few days ago, it looks like he's out for the rest of the year. Now, next thing you know, Dennis is on stage in an Australis jer- jersey in the massive arena, helping Australis go all the way in the semifinals. And they only lost a single pistol round in the process, which is a massive turnaround for them because their pistol rounds have traditionally been pretty diz. Now, Dennis posts very, very good numbers, has the 12,000 people in the crowd chanting his name, so it's not exactly uh, the same as sitting at home scrolling through his own highlight clips, which it seemed like he was in danger of doing for a moment there. Now, Dupree 
This is the other part of the Astralis story. Dupree, one of Astralis's best players, picked up the AWP. For the noobs again, the AWP is a very expensive sniper rifle that generally only one player in the team wields on a regular basis. It's a one-shot kill above the legs, but it is very unwieldy and expensive. A device, the bloke who was sick, usually plays that role. And he's known as one of the world's best, but Dupree picked it up and he did not disappoint. Which brings me to the final, which is the best of three between SK, number one team, and Astralis, which is always a great matchup. Now, if you didn't watch any of these matches and you're hankering for a bit of CSGO before DreamHack Winter starts, watch this best of three. If you've somehow managed to avoid the results, I won't reveal them, but search Google for Blast Pro for Grand Final, SK vs. Astralis Map 1. And just remember, this is a team who's held the number one spot in the rankings for the most time this year, SK. They're up against a fallen from glory, Astralis, whose star player has been subbed out for an ex-star from a different country, and... One of their players has been forced to play a role he doesn't usually play on the AWP. Plus, they're all playing in English because five of them, four of them are Danish and one of them Swedish. Now, if you can't be bothered to watch a, a best of three, fair enough. Just check out map one. It's Mirage, and it has two of the most amazing consecutive rounds played this year by that very same man I was talking about, Dupree, who picked up the AWP. Go to round 14 of this map. SK are down three to Astralis's 11, and Dupree does some amazing work in those two rounds. Now, it's interesting to note, in an interview later, Fallen spoke about the slight relief at not having device on the orb because, as I've pointed out before as well, when Astralis play SK, device is basically a Fallen finding machine. It's as if, like, that's all he's sort of put on the map to do. Molly or flash out Fallen and then get rid of him first and then the team start working on their strats. So it was really interesting to hear that sort of observed theory confirmed by Fallen, and possibly that means we'll start seeing Dupree on the AWP more often. Especially, as I mentioned, it looks like Device is out for the rest of the year. The poor dude has some sort of thing that's going to stop him from competing, and there's been a few conflicts with tournaments because of that. Um, I won't go into details. There's other analysts who do that sort of news far better than me. Needless to say, if you're an Astralis fan, you're a bit devo uh, about Devi, but... Um, will be interesting to see what happens and who they bring in as a stand-in on a more mm, regular basis. Blast Pro looked like a hell of a lot of fun. Uh, it looks like the kind of tournament I wish I'd been able to attend. But uh, that's all I have to say about it. So let us move on to the shank of this app, and it is an interview with a CSGO hacker. So about a week and a half ago, I met a young man who confessed to me he'd been hacking and uh, DDoSing in Counter-Strike. And if you don't know what DDoSing means, it stands for a Distributed Denial of Service Attack, which is where you find someone's IP address and then you bombard it with empty packets of information and basically bring down their internet service. This has been done to uh, several large corporations over the past few years. And it can happen in Counter-Strike too. If you've been booted from a server and your internet just suddenly shuts down, that's probably because you've been DDoSed. Uh, this young man was kind enough to give me a bit of an interview. I, I immediately got pretty triggered when I heard what he was doing because if you're anything like me, a hacker can just absolutely ruin your night, basically. You've settled down for a few games of Counter-Strike. Um, but uh, as I always do, as I try to do when I get really emotional, I, uh, I think there's always more to the story. You know, Why am I getting angry? Why is this boy's response seemingly not proportionate to how I feel? And so I thought there was more to uncover. And uh, the interview was conducted on my phone, so apologies for the less than optimal sound. But uh, I'll cut in to explain a few things as we go. Why don't you tell me exactly what you've been up to with Counter-Strike? 
Uh, well, I'll go into a match of Counter-Strike with a couple friends, uh, competitive, and I would fish for people's IP by either adding them on Steam or sending a link into the chat, and if they click the link or if they add me on Steam, I can track their IP, and then I can send a bunch of empty packages to their IP, which will eventually crash their modem, and their internet will completely cut out, and then they'll disconnect, and then we'll obviously get the easy win for disconnecting at least, like, two to three people usually will fall for it in a match. And this is called DDoSing? Yeah, DDoSing. How did you learn how to do this? Um, I have a friend in New Zealand. He's the uh, same age as me, but he's really into the whole cheating side of games kind of thing, making his own hacks and all. So he taught you how to do this? Yeah. He's 16 as well? Yes, he is. And how did he learn? Um, I'm honestly not sure. He's always been interested in coding, so... And finding a loophole in and out of games. I probably got it off YouTube as well. I'm sure there's some videos on there. So will you play with him in a queue, or is it just yourself when you do this? Um, if a friend has dropped a rank, I will queue with them if they want the easy win, but I do get a lot of heat for it from my friends when we queue together and I DDoS them and they're like, oh, it's not fair, it's not fun if you do that. <laughs> so your friends aren't for it? Um, one of them is, and that's the one that taught me how to do it. That's it, other than that, no. This sounds like a bad influence, this guy. No, we love him. He's great. Who's we? Me and myself. And I. Um, all right, so what rank are you right now? I'm Supreme. Uh, what is it? Supreme. But right below Global Elite, I always forget. Supreme. Oh, I forget too. <laughs> LEM, Legendary Eagle, and then. Yeah, I forget too. <laughs> yeah, whatever's below Global. So, what did you start as? Um, well, before I started, I was LE, so I wasn't the worst player, but. You know, a bunch of cheaters kind of thought might as well just cheat. What's the point of playing? So you you were really good. Ellie's quite good. Mm. I'm only MG2, and I try hard. <laughs> so so you had a bunch of cheaters come in your game. Do you ever get matched against cheaters? Uh, yeah, not that frequently. Doesn't make you want to cheat at all. No. T tell me tell me why that made you want to cheat. It's just not fun, it's not fair. Versing other cheaters, you might as well cheat yourself. So it's, it's almost as if because other people have done this, you feel like you may as well do it as well. Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a paradox, I guess. Is that because you feel like Valve are never actually going to be able to crack down on cheating completely? Oh, Valve's anti-cheat system is really bad and it's been pretty evident in a lot of videos that have been made on it. VAC just fails to pick up any think that's externally running like an overlay over the game it can't detect if it's inside the game like actually internal it will detect it but any external overlay and it will it won't have any idea what it's doing so it's almost like because it seems so hopeless why bother competing yeah i mean take advantage of it that's quite a nihilistic uh, viewpoint <laughs> yeah well 
it's 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 good fun. Yeah, it is. But I, I get that kids will get salty. So how long have you been kids? Thank you. All right. How long have you been um, like actually doing this then, getting away with DDoSing? Like when, when was the first time you DDoSed? Oh, like late last year when I decided that Counter Strike is a bad game. Okay. A, b- a bad game because there's cheaters. Because it's just bad. They changed the ranking system and it ruined everything. It's just boring. So for someone like me who gets triggered by people who DDoS us, what would you have to say to the other 30-year-olds out there? Um, the bigger the reaction, the, the more enjoyable it is. If you give less reaction, you come back into the game and pretend nothing happened, chances are they won't. I wouldn't really try again because doesn't really I didn't get anything out of it that's so true when my other teammates go oh you're you know and slam it it's like you're ob- they're obviously enjoying it more what, what, what gets you off about making people angry um well the more people react it <clears throat> when people react more it kind of trying to think of how to say this um, <laughs> well okay so easiest way for me to explain this is that when you're in a game with a bunch of friends and you're just playing the game normally and you don't enjoy it anymore you, you, you don't want to do that. There's no, there's no fun in playing the game anymore. So why play it? Well, you just find new things to do. So I guess the next thing to do after you're sick of playing a game, for me, was to make other people upset and ruin their experience to get reactions from them. But if they don't react, then I don't. There is no enjoyment because it's just not there. Like the thing I'm looking for is the reaction. And if that's not, if they don't give me a reaction, then it's like nothing ever happened, you know? Yeah, I get that. I can see that there's a feedback loop from making someone upset, but that isn't the reason you played it in the first place, right? The, the, the reason you play it in the first place is to, maybe you win and they get upset by proxy, but, um, oh, sorry, by, you know, as a result, but you, you're playing it to, well, I don't know, why did you play it in the first place? Played it in the first place because I used to be super competitive with gaming and that was like CSGO was up at the spotlight it was at the peak of its time and that was uh, I, I wanted to be better than other people at the game but then once I realised that it's just a waste of time for me personally I guess I just assumed that everyone else is wasting the time as well so why not just well yeah but it's a waste of time but then so is DDoSing someone right? Yeah, but it, it helps them understand how ridiculous their... How, how like... It, I feel like it gives them a better understanding of how they're using their time and how efficient they're being, like, by... I'm not comfortable with this. Can we not post any of this stuff? Oh, okay. Just... I just don't think there's anything really... I mean, it's good for you to...
So at this point, I actually stopped recording because that voice is the boy's father who'd come out to listen to the interview. Now, understandably, he was quite protective of his son and wasn't comfortable with the interview. But when I explained that my podcast was anonymous and his son would also be anonymous, he began to talk to me as well. He indicated he was okay with me continuing. So I pick it up back again halfway through him speaking. The fact that he was able to, you know, work out how to do these things. It's like making mods in Minecraft and right. setting up Minecraft servers and stuff. It's the same shit that these guys do here. It's, it's exciting for them. Don't mention these guys. <laughs> I just said these guys. Okay, yeah, I know, man. <laughs> But, you know, it's what the, you know, coders, I guess, and... Yeah, there's, there's obviously a skill yeah, that your that's, son That's has. what I think is good. Right. I, didn't, I didn't really dawn on me that it was ruining, you know, elderly people's <laughs> game life. Well, My first reaction to being called elderly um, by the father and a kid by the son <laughs> was confusion. And then I guess I thought, well, you know what, I'm probably in that age range, 33, where... In the words of Britney Spears, I'm not a girl and not yet a woman. Um, but I think, you know what, at first when he was talking about this Minecraft mods and likening to that, uh, likening, you know, sons hacking to that, I, I was a bit like, well, <laughs> these, are, these are very different things. But I actually had a conversation with the father for quite a while afterwards, which is not in this recording, where he explained to me that he comes from a very long line of... Um, you know, finding Easter eggs and things. So one of his first experiences when he was playing arcades was being shown by another guy in an arcade, a little exploit in Gallagher. If, you, if you're from a generation that doesn't know what Gallagher is, it was sort of like an asteroids game. It was a stand-up uh, arcade cabinet. And um, I, get, I totally get where the father's coming from. There is like a long history of finding you know, little secrets that developers have left and using those to sort of hack into the game and make your experience more enjoyable. I don't think he quite grasped that his son was actually playing against people who took this game seriously. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, as we had a conversation too, it dawned on me that, well, there's a whole kind of subset of people who take this game seriously but are not also pros. Um, and I don't think I don't think um, the father either quite realised that um, as well. He kind of thought, well, look, if, if, if you're playing it, if you're taking it seriously, why not play in a proper league? Uh, and if you're not going to take it seriously, well, you just have to kind of deal with that stuff, um, which is a totally valid point. I think I am in a bit of an awkward uh, gap in the game. You know, I'm only MG2. I, I, I take it seriously, but then again, you know, it's not like I'm that great. When my team plays, we have a lot of fun. And uh, we don't get too tilted, but we also try to win. Um, so that kind of made more sense in terms of his viewpoint on his son. You know, he'd seen his son making mods in Minecraft and, uh, you know, working, finding workarounds to make his game more enjoyable, but didn't quite realize that um, it was having an impact on other people. It was totally understandable. I, 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 I got a friend that's in his early 40s that plays these games all night too. I, I should ask him about that. Mm. I don't know if he gets bumped or what he does or how much he cheats. Well, I have to. I mean, I have some self-awareness. It is ridiculous. It's just a computer game, but it is how we choose to spend our time, as you say. And it's huge now. I mean, with the you know the big esports and League of Legend tournaments for millions of dollars. So I guess it's a real thing. You should be training with real, not athletes, but real. You know, there should be different, maybe leagues. Yeah. So. Again, going back to what I do, playing pool, I could play pool in the pub and then I have to put up with the drunks and it ruins your night. Or I can join a league where, you know, there's 16 teams of people that aren't interested in actually playing the game. 
So, so in in some way, like you, you, this this is a skill that your son's developing, and you assume that it'll it'll be put to good use in the future. <laughs> well, yeah, yes, of course, right. Very good use, right. I, I didn't really grasp the negative impact it would have on people. I guess you know, that's part of it is computer gamers are a bit weird anyway and part of it is it's on the internet and it's all anonymous yeah but yeah I don't want to waste an hour and a half of your time so yeah that's fair enough well thank you <laughs> yeah, I think there surely is easy ways for these guys to stop this stuff happening I mean isn't there a big community around yeah. CSGO can't you work it out I have no idea I, I don't know there's not millions or billions of players what can you do to stop someone getting bumped like how do, um, how, do, how do you stop getting bumped Dynamic IP addresses, VPNs, or DDoS protection, even just free DDoS protection, easily stop anyone from so getting So why isn't that built into the CSGO game? Because VAX sucks. But no, what, why does VAX suck? Because, because they're, they're so out of it. If it, was, if, it was, if it was a free little patch you can put on your Windows computer that stops it from happening, why, why can't it be built into the game if it's an issue? Uh, these are questions I, I don't have the answer to. I'm going to have to do some research. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's probably the first question. So not, not why is a 16-year-old working out how to bump someone off the game? Why isn't the game realising that people are getting bumped off so easily when there's such an easy fix? I, mean, I guess go, I've, put put much, I've put too much faith in, in, in this large corporation, I assume, to protect me. But are you going to put the DDoS, you know, what is it? Just get dynamic IP address. It will change your IP address every... Oh. Didn't you tell me that to be DDoS, I have to click on a link, basically? Yeah, you have to click on a link or add them on Steam. Well, neither of those things I'm going to do, so I should be okay, right? Yeah, you should be. Well, I, I, didn't, I didn't know that I, I couldn't add someone on Steam or, or click on a link, which, which is just me trying to be friendly, right? <laughs> Assuming that other people are friendly, which is obviously naive of me, considering I'm on the internet. It is. Well, a bit loaded, wasn't it? <laughs> I don't is is, is yeah. it unfriendly? I guess it's unfriendly to bump someone off. Yeah. Getting bumped off of a game is no any of the worst thing someone can do with your IP. Someone can go into your computer files, delete System32, and then your computer's completely... Well, let's not be, let's not be relativistic here. Like, that's, it's more unfriendly than not bumping someone, right? Sure. Well, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm saying that that shouldn't be the, your biggest worry, getting bumped from a CSGO game. They can find out where you live. They can find out who your parents are, who everyone that you're related to, who you, whatever, they can track you down and do whatever they want. So pretty much everyone at home should have dynamic IPs to protect well, yeah, the whole house. Sure. The interview actually ended here, but as we were walking away, another topic came up, and so I started recording again. We, we, we've just sort of ended the interview, but you just brought up something quite interesting, which is how easy it is to hack with an overlay. Is that basically it? All right, so can you tell me the process of that? Uh, so I would find someone's script or hack that they've uploaded online, for public use, I would copy the script of that hack, put it into code blocks, and then edit a few lines so that the VAC system can't automatically detect that my hacks are identical to someone's public hack that's being used by thousands of people, which will get detected very quickly. So my hack that only I'm using will not get detected at all, pretty much, because I'm an insignificant number compared to most other people. So how easy is it to find this person's script? Oh, it's extremely easy. There's so many websites. Are they forums? Yeah, forums. 
and then you just change like literally a few lines. Yeah, yeah, just um, just so that it's not the exact same. I just take a few things out that I don't want to use. A few features. So you're actually just taking things out. Yeah, a few features that I don't need. And and this sort of hack that you these overlay things won't be detected. Um, no, it won't unless. Uh, only when a new patch of CSGO comes out, you have to update your script, but other than that, no, it won't get detected, because there's one of me and there's 10,000 people using that other hack, why would they go for me? So they have to actually like focus on a hack, they don't just have something that, that can detect that you're using a script at all? No, they, 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 the VAC will eventually see uh, a, a pattern in the change of like a bunch of people get reported they'll get watched by Overwatch and then eventually VAC will detect the pattern of that everyone's kind of got the same motion same movements and all that stuff and they'll they'll piece it together until they find out that whatever also they will go through the forum f forums of the where the hacks are released and they will Try to find. Well, they'll. So, so, so they're also trawling the forums looking for these hacks. Yeah, I mean that's just I. I guess. Right. Makes sense. There's a new trust system out, I think, to partly combat this, right? No, I have no idea. I haven't played CS:GO since. Oh, actually, I played like a week ago. Right. Were you hacking a week ago? Oh uh, yeah. Oh, not hacking, DDoSing, but yeah. So I originally recorded a subscript or a postscript to this uh, interview where I was basically on a sort of a moral high horse. Um, it hadn't appeared to me that the father or the son had acknowledged that they were cheating. Um, and I had a conversation with the father afterwards. It doesn't appear in this interview where he cleared up that <laughs> that's totally not the case. Um, he's totally against cheating of any kind and... It was kind of more of a misunderstanding. And uh, to be honest, I never felt right about being morally judgmental about this whole scenario at all. I felt weird being even angry at this kid. And I think this interview kind of made it clear why. And, and that's really because of what the son said and the father said. And firstly, when the son said, you know, one of the reasons I'm doing this DDoSing instead of, you know, I could be doing something else with my time is to show other people how they're wasting their time. And at first I was like, all right, <laughs> that's mighty you know, big of you. But in a way, he actually has. I mean, the father suggested, like, if you, if you are serious, why not find a league? And uh, I think that's a very salient point. Why am I not playing in Face It that has apparently better cheat protection? I mean, I'm registered to Face It, and yet I still continue to put myself at the mercy um, of these hackers. And you know, as I say this, it does make me wonder, am I truly happy that I'm spending my time even playing this game? Because if I was, would I somehow, like would I actually feel the need to play a game where I can get my time wasted by these young kids or can be sort of triggered by these young kids? I mean, I wonder if there's a part of me that's looking for something to be angry at instead of being angry at myself for what is, you know, essentially 
wasted time when I could be being productive, when I could be getting things done in my life, when I could be taking care of my responsibilities. And I guess the other thing that came out that was interesting that I'd never really thought about was that I have never really been angry at Valve in the way that some people are. The father said that the first question is to ask, you know, why does this company, why does Valve not place a basic anti-vac that stops these kids from DDoSing or having these overlays? Not why is a 16-year-old doing it? I guess the inferral is, well, boys will be boys, right? 16-year-olds will do what 16-year-olds do. I mean, I'm the naive one to expect that that's not going to happen. As he said, it's the internet, right? Anything goes. Why have I never questioned Valve's anti-cheat? It's a fine line, isn't it? Because there's there's expecting that everyone will um, act in a completely forthright manner and there's expecting that people will be human beings, right? And... Uh, there's, a, there's the fear that if, you, if you're suspicious of your neighbour, you will help create a more antisocial environment and that if you are trusting, you will foster one that where everybody is out for everybody else. But I guess all it takes is one person to start hacking and then, as you can see in the interview, uh, the culture of anything goes just happens very quickly. So at the end of the day, it probably is in the hands of Valve to set the precedent to set the tone and to go, you know what, this is what we want our game and how we want our game to be played. And there was a, there was a very interesting um, article on The Conversation, which is a website where they did a, a large survey of their readers working out how trolls are created and what it is that defines a troll. And they were specifically looking at comments on websites. And what they found was a comment section was twice as likely to be trolled if the very first comment was a troll. And what that shows is that trolls are not necessarily uh, decided by who a person actually is. They're far more situational. Being a troll is a far more opportunistic thing. Um, I don't think this boy is a troll, you know. I think he's in a situation where there is definitely an environment that he's reacting to. And as the conversation said, look, we found that we basically have the responsibility over how the tone of our comment section is. The moment if we you know remove the first comment, if it's a trolling comment, then we have a 50% less chance that there'll be trolls in the comments full stop. So all in all, I think this um, was a very thoughtful interview. Uh, <laughs> I had to think about it and reflect about it a lot more than I thought I would, but I hope you enjoyed it as well. And on that note, we switch to a deep, delicious, metallic tone of irony as we move on to the Toxic Player of the Week. Now, this was actually last week. Shoutouts to listener B twice for screenshotting this guy. So we're playing a nice game on the map Cash. We're winning. We're having a nice time with a good team. And this guy called Gome, G-H-0-M-3, I assume it's pronounced Gome, decides to switch on his walls. Uh, if you're a noob, walls means he can see through walls and his crosshair will automatically target us. Uh, he had a name bot on as well. The fact that he can see through walls also means he can shoot us through most of them as there are a lot of walls on this map cache that you can shoot through. So this guy buys a Dak Dak every round, which is an auto sniper, pretty much the most powerful weapon in the game, and he simply headshots all of us the moment we spawn. Classic, classic hacking experience. Some of my teammates get triggered and begin abusing him on chat, which is confirmed by 
My hacker interview is probably the worst thing to do. Either way, we have to sit there and wait until this team wins 16 rounds because you can't surrender a match unless one of your team abandons. But if you abandon, you get penalized and can't play for a certain period of time. And no one wants to do that. So we just have to sit there. Now more on Gome. His profile was private, but previously he'd used names such as Kill All Commies and King Kike. Telling. And Gome had a friend, or should I say a pet sheep, called 1994 Pajero, whose profile said his name was Will from Sydney, and his description read, I'm a fat mong, XD, and I like Counter-Strike. <laughs> well, to Gome, I wish nothing more than complete mental rehabilitation, and to Will, I hope you're able to get your weight under control, because uh, obesity can be the cause of many health issues down the road. Namaste. That's it for this episode. It's been a long one. I hope it hasn't been too long. I've been trying to get these episodes up on YouTube, but I'm a bit behind that episode seven because Australia suffers from some of the most technologically retarded politicians in the world who set legislation years ago. So that means that we've got 80% or thereabouts of our speed devoted to downloading, which can't be changed, apparently, you know, because Australians have nothing to contribute to the internet. Anyway, this all means that each episode takes about one and a half light years to upload to YouTube, and if I play my cards right, I'll get around to episode 15 just as our son goes into supernova. I should mention I reached out to the bloke who does a Rush B podcast that we should join forces because our potties aren't dissimilar. And so we may be doing a joint episode in the future. We'll see. Till then, enjoy the game and stop DDoSing others and do something nice for someone. <laughs>